Welcome to Weather Snap. It's Friday, the 14th of July. I'm Alex Deakin. And I'm Helen Roberts. Coming up this week, the latest on the Mediterranean heat wave. El Nino is just getting going. So what does that mean for global weather patterns? And what's going on with the UK weather? Any signs of summer returning? First of all, though, welcome, Helen. Thank you for joining me this week. Uh, Claire's on a well-earned holiday, so it's great to have you with us. And we're we're pretty lucky to have you with us as well, because you're embroiled in something at the moment here at Met Office HQ, something called a, a test bed. What's that all about? The test bed is a really exciting thing that we do annually. At least I think it's exciting anyway. Um, <laughs> and it's an opportunity for lots of scientists, operational meteorologists. We have people joining from all over the world, from academia, from other national met services. And it gives us the opportunity to test a variety of different things, like, for example, new visualization systems, new data, new ways of working. We're really looking forward to seeing some of the results. Excellent. We'll have more on that later as well. Okay, let's get to the the weather and the current weather. Helen, how would you describe July so far? Mm, Cool and showery. (laughs) (laughs) That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? It's been such a change. People have been talking about this an awful lot because June was the warmest June, a record. We had lots of sunny skies, but kind of since the last few days of June, the last couple of weeks, it has seemingly been a lot cooler and uh, quite a lot wetter as well. I've just been looking at some of the July stats so far, however, and although it's all relative, I guess, because actually the July temperatures are currently running pretty close to average, but it feels a lot cooler, of course, because June was so very warm. So uh, yeah, temperatures actually dipped. Uh, certainly the first week of July was a little bit below average but since then the average temperature taking you know the daytime max and the min into consideration when you when you add it all up we're not far off the actual average for July but it just feels that much cooler because June was so incredibly warm rainfall is quite interesting it has been quite wet so far and we are above average in terms of rainfall but in terms of temperature pretty much bang on average Yeah, and although temperatures have been fairly unremarkable in the UK, that's not true of global temperatures. And in fact, it's been quite widely reported that July the 6th was the hottest day on record across the world. And the World Meteorological Organization reported that last week was the warmest week on record and that June was not only the hottest for the UK, but globally as well. Yeah, and there's uh, there's plenty of heat going on right now, as, as you said, not particularly in the UK, but there is lots of heat to discuss currently because temperatures are rising around the Mediterranean. This has been a big story through this week. Heat wave well underway with temperatures over large swathes of the Mediterranean between 10 and 15 degrees Celsius above average parts of southern Spain and Italy. Going to see temperatures in the mid 40s, particularly southern Italy over the next few days. And in Africa, northwest Africa, we could get close to 50 degrees Celsius. Now, high pressure, strong sunshine are the main things responsible for this just day on day temperature increase but also the med itself sea surface temperatures incredibly high three or four degrees above the average now that doesn't sound a lot but of course it takes more energy to warm the seas up so that is quite remarkable even close to 30 celsius the sea temperatures in parts of the mediterranean at the moment so yeah incredible so that heat wave likely to continue through the weekend Yeah, some really extreme conditions going on across the world. And in fact, above average sea temperatures are also a factor in the hot weather in the USA with Florida 
possibly recording 110 Fahrenheit, 43.3 Celsius. And that number is also significant further west in Phoenix, Arizona. They could break their longest streak of reaching that temperature, which currently stands at 18 days. And the heat is expected to push up into the southern plains this weekend. Now, I think I said it maybe last week, but one of the easiest things to forecast at the moment is that more records will continue to be broken. And we, we often discuss on here, you know, we know the planet is warming up due to human-induced climate change. But on top of that now, we have El Nino, which is a natural cycle, uh, but it's something that's just getting started. I chatted to Graham Madge, our WeatherSnap climate correspondent, for the latest on this hot topic. Graham, thanks very much for joining me. Um, let's talk about El Nino then. It's developing now and will probably continue to develop over the next few months. There's a lot of chat about, about what it could mean. We'll get on to maybe the UK in a moment. But, but first of all, what are the impacts likely globally? The tropical Pacific will get increasingly warm up until Christmas. That's imparting warmth to the atmosphere, which is then spread around the globe and can have certain effects. So the biggest impact globally will be the potential for El Nino to deliver what is potentially a record-breaking temperature, possibly this year, more likely next year. If we cast our minds back to 2016, when there was also a significant El Nino, that was a record-breaking year for temperature. And the experts that I'm talking to at the Met Office are telling me that there is a good chance that we could see 2023 or 2024 as being a new record year. You talk about that potential, and, and of course, it's more likely next year, I guess, because it's it's only kind of started this year. So it wasn't it wasn't in evidence at the start of this year, and it's going to continue to build through this year. It's only been called in the last few weeks, and it will continue to develop up until around our midwinter, um, and obviously that will radiate effects out in terms of heat, but also those regions that are closer to the tropical Pacific will have more impacts perhaps than we would expect to see in the UK. So one of the associations that goes along with an El Nino is a drying out of Eastern Australia and Southeast Asia generally. And that can lead to situations like more forest fires because you get drier conditions that can allow any fires which ignite to burn more vigorously. So that is a worry for people in those regions, but also in other parts of the world too, there could be potential impacts. Many people, of course, will be wondering about what happens to the UK in winter at the time it's mm -hmm. most developed. What we can say here is that there are many drivers for winter weather. So the fact that there's an El Nino will give our weather systems a nudge, but it's not definitive as to whether it will have any impact. Now, there's an association between El Nino and a colder end to winter in northwest Europe, but that is an outcome. It loads the dice a little bit, but it doesn't give us a guarantee that it will be a cold winter. And obviously, as, as you will know and appreciate, most of our winter weather is driven by the North Atlantic Oscillation ending storms our way. So it will have to outweigh that. But there is a trend 
for colder end to winter, but we'll have to see what the other drivers of our winter weather are like and how they're doing to know for sure whether it's going to leave us with a colder end to winter. Graham Madge there. And if you want to understand more about El Nino, have a look at our most popular YouTube video ever on the subject. And while you're on YouTube, do check out the Met Office Deep Dive from Tuesday. If you're interested in the jet stream, Alex explains some of the dynamics around it and how something way up in the sky affects the pressure systems and the weather down here at the surface. It was good fun doing that deep dive on, on Tuesday. It was uh, quite a lot of fun playing with the touchscreen and the pens. Uh, so, yeah, check that out if you can. And speaking of the jet stream, it is getting lively again. As we record this, it's really developing an area of low pressure out to the west or the southwest of the UK. And that's going to bring us some lively weather, some unseasonably windy weather, as well as some wet weather during Friday and into the weekend. We've just uh, issued a couple of warnings. On Thursday, we issued a couple of wind warnings for South Wales and Southwest England. And then that's for Friday, uh, for today. And then for Saturday, across central and southeastern parts of England, we also have a wind warning. Now, the number Numbers aren't that impressive. If you look at the, the gusts that we're expecting, 40, 45, maybe 50 mile an hour gusts, perhaps 55 on coasts on Saturday. Those kind of numbers we wouldn't be issuing a warning for if it was October. But it, it's not October. It's July. And there's many more people out. And these winds are likely to continue to cause some further disruption. Lots of people on the road, lots of people traveling, trying to get away for, for a weekend or for the summer holidays, of course. So all of that has to be taken into account when we when we issue these warnings. So yeah, unusually windy and wet weather sweeping across the country at the moment. It's going to be a showery weekend, heavy, blustery showers across the country on Saturday. Nowhere immune, but there will be those gusty winds, which at least means the showers will zip through. But it also means the next shower isn't too far away. On Sunday, the low at least does try and pull away a little bit and the isobars open up. So Sunday's not as windy, but it's still a case of dodging the downpours, more heavy showers to come. Uh, that basically sums up the weekend. There are signs uh, that things will be a little calmer next week, but it's only kind of relative to the weekend. We're not talking a return to the June warm and sunny weather. It's still saying fairly cloudy, uh, fairly cool and showery next week, but it, it, it won't be as lively as it is at the moment, at least. Thanks for that, Alex. So, of course, we're always trying to improve our forecasts. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm part of the testbed that's currently running to do just that. And earlier, Alex caught up with our colleague Rosie Jones, who is a research and innovation manager and is heavily involved. Rosie, thank you very much for joining me. First of all, let's start with what exactly happens during a, a testbed. A testbed is basically a period of developmental testing, but we do it in an environment that mimics the real world of forecasting as much as possible. So over the last four weeks, our meteorologists have been working with researchers and developers doing day to day weather forecasting just to investigate new computer modelling capabilities and how they perform in a real world situation. So what are these new modelling capabilities that you've been testing? We're looking at five new computer modelling capabilities. Each of these capabilities are focused around one common topic, and that is ensembles. So an ensemble is a way of forecasting that uses lots of different runs of the model to give us a lot more information. When we make an ensemble forecast, we don't just run the Met Office computer model once. We run it many times, in fact, 18 times. And for each of these simulations, we slightly tweak some of the numbers at the start. And this allows us to see how much a small change at the start can escalate into a much larger change in the future. So we need to test the best ways of making the most of all of this information. And that's what we're doing in the test beds. 
So then how do you go about testing the ensemble modelling? What actually happens? In the mornings, we take all of the participants of the test bed and we split them up into three groups and we ask each group to make exactly the same forecast. One group only looks at deterministic data, which is where we run the computer model once. One group only looks at ensemble data, which is when we run it 18 times. And the third group gets to look at any data they want. Each group looks specifically at forecasting certain types of weather happening that day. And then the next day, we compare each of those three forecasts to what actually happened. This summer, we've been focusing quite heavily on summertime showers and thunderstorms. And that's because they often lead to the most impactful weather, such as flooding, lightning strikes that lead to power outages, strong gusty winds that affect travel. And they're often some of the most difficult weather setups to predict as well. Have there been any surprising results from the experiment? What's really struck me has been how useful the ensemble's been to pick out some of the worst case scenarios. Because when we're running the computer model once, we only get one forecast output and that might not always be right. But when we're running a computer model lots of times, we're given a variety of weather scenarios that could evolve. And from this, we can look at the best case scenarios or the worst case scenarios by the click of a button. So what happens next from the results of these test beds? Will we see improvements? Are our weather forecasts going to get even better? You won't see these improvements straight away because it takes us a lot of time to look across the data we've collected to understand what our next steps are. But we plan to look at these things now because in order to run all these models, we need a lot of computing power and we'll only be able to do that from 2025. So we've got plenty of time to understand all the best approaches and implement them to improve our weather forecasts that we provide. So you expect there'll be, there'll be more of these test beds in the future? Each year, we'll look at our newest scientific developments um, we also hope to be able to test new weather observations like new satellite output, radar, land-based observations and new technology, machine learning techniques. So watch this space. Rosie, thank you very much. Now, here's a look back at the weather for last week. It's Ollie Claydon with the highs and lows. Here are the extremes for the UK for the week beginning Monday the 3rd of July to Sunday the 9th. The highest temperature was recorded at Chertsey on Friday the 7th with 30.2 Celsius. The lowest temperature was 2.9 Celsius, recorded at Kinbrace on Thursday the 6th. The most sunshine in a day was 16.1 hours at Lowick in Shetland on Saturday the 8th. The wettest day was also Saturday the 8th, when 40.4 millimetres of rain fell at Winterbourne. Thanks very much to Ollie there, and thank you, Helen. Enjoy the rest of the test bed. So there's one week to go, is there? One week to go. Um, yeah, four weeks down, one to go. And uh, like I say, I'm just really looking forward to seeing all the results of the hard work that's been going on. Well, we'll have to get you back on and Rosie, perhaps to find out what the summary was of all this hard work. Yeah, I'd love to. OK, and thank you very much for listening, everybody. That's it for Weather Snap this week. We'll be back next week with more.